Hello, welcome to the Bright Club Southampton podcast. I am your host, Dave Christensen. Thank you for joining me again, or for the first time, whichever is appropriate for you. Um, this is uh, an episode where, um, well, just to get you up to speed if you're new here, uh, we get in people who have performed at our live shows. Yeah, that's right. Mostly we do live comedy shows, and we get researchers to tell jokes about their work. And then here for the podcast, we get them back in and they chat to each other and they we find out more about what they do and uh, who they are and how they ended up getting to where they are in their research careers. Uh, and uh, yeah, and then you'll hear their jokes as well. So um, it's a fun time. And uh, this week, uh, oh, by the way, I hope you had a good Easter. Um, yeah, this week we have Anna Hurley Wallace. Uh, she is a psychologist uh, and she was being interviewed by um, the uh, the focus of last week's show, of course, because that's how we do them. If you haven't noticed so far, we keep on getting the interviewee on one episode to be the interviewer on the next. Yeah, it was uh, Lisa Jones doing the interviewing today. So, um, yeah, it was a good chat, a long chat. And, um, yeah, I, uh, I hope you enjoy it. Have a listen now. Nice to meet you. <laughs> um, so you did one of the Bright Club sets for the International Women's Day. Yep. How was it? Did you have, you had a good time? Yeah, <laughs> a great time. Say. <laughs> uh, it was more daunting going on last in the end. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I wish I'd said I'd go first, but it's okay. Yeah. And then did you, how did it feel to be part of it on International Women's Day? Did it? Yeah, really great. Like, I've got a few younger sisters and I think it was quite important for that to get emphasised. I don't know, for some reason this year I seem to do loads of Women's Day stuff. So, to introduce myself, I'm Anna, or a bit more specifically, I'm Anna Hurley-Wallace, BSc, MSc, ABCM, BPSS, all those titles, no experience. (laughs) (laughs) As the classic students nowadays in education my whole life. but somehow I've managed to get onto a PhD in pain psychology. Um, I'm in my first year here at Southampton. Um, I don't know if I like Southampton that much. But... <laughs> um, it all got a little bit more serious when we decided that I would be looking at pain in children with cancer. And then all the bit more worrying when White Club asked me to come and do a comedy piece about <laughs> pain in children with cancer. Uh, but maybe I'm going to talk about pain and try not to over the microphone. Um, doesn't sound much better really, but they say the crazy ones make the best psychologists, so here goes nothing. <laughs> um, pain. Something like 50% of the UK population experience physical pain of some form on a daily basis is a really, really big problem. Um, It can happen in one or many parts of the body and it can be ongoing or it can just flare up sporadically. And there's probably some people in the room who will know what I'm talking about. 
I've watched, obviously, you've watched your show and you made some really funny jokes. So, well done on, yeah. Was that your first comedy set? Yeah, it's the first sort of thing like that I've ever done. I think it's actually the longest I've spoken uh, to a public audience ever. So, it was super nerve-wracking. I was really, really nervous. Yeah. I think I came across less nervous on the video. Yeah, you didn't didn't look nervous. You did good. (laughs) Um, So... Yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself and because this is all to do with researchers becoming comedians. Tell, yeah, tell us a little bit about the research you're doing at the moment and what you're doing for your PhD. Um, so the PhD is based around um, making pain interventions using psychology um, directed at children. Hopefully, if we can get it up and running by an online modality so people can use it from home. Um, and that's it really, it's children with uh, chronic cancer pain. Mm-hmm. So a worthwhile cause. Yeah. We've got a few other people in the office uh, working on different types of pain with children. Okay. So it's nice as well because similar-ish projects, but we can help each other out a little bit when it comes yeah. to kind of making interventions. Okay, awesome. So is this is this quite different to what you've done before? Because you've looked at pain psychology in your master's. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't in my undergrad. I looked at it in my master's. Yeah. Um, the first time I really came across pain psychology is when I worked um, in one of the NHS services in London and they had like a pain group there. Um, and that was really what started getting me interested in it because people who have chronic pain, they will say psychology is everything. Okay. And then when you talk about chronic pain, what, what kind of things are you including? It's a massive range of things, to yeah. be honest. Um, a big one is things like arthritis. Okay. Um, one of the girls in my office, she actually is another pain researcher and she has widespread chronic pain. So that's just really random, where it would just affect her entire body and she can't move sometimes. Yeah. Not sure why. Okay. Um, it is a little bit ambiguous. A lot of people get back pain. That's another one, low back pain. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of physios see that. Yeah. Oh, and also one I should mention is uh, fibromyalgia. Okay. I don't think a lot of people, or a lot of people might have heard of it, but it's it's not an easy thing to describe because, again, it's like a whole body pain syndrome. But it's to do with sleep and stress and a bit of psychology, and uh, they're still not really sure what the cause of it is. But again, another one of my friends from uni has that. I think most people understand when I talk about physical pain um, easy examples are things like um, arthritis or back pain, um, burning the roof of your mouth on that glorious meal you just pulled out the microwave after a long day at work. <laughs> Painful, because hanger is a real thing. <laughs> what I think a lot of people don't understand is when I talk about the psychology of pain. First off, a lot of people think that I'm talking about psychological pain. Um, things like uh, PTSD, depression, bipolar. And I want to start off really by saying that that is not what I mean. Psychological pain is not the same as pain psychology. Pain psychology is actually much more about medicine than mental health. Nonetheless, the people who think I'm talking about psychological pain, uh, when I tell them what I do, they will continue to relate to me their entire life story. <laughs> they, say, yeah. they say, oh yeah, I know pain. 
prime example being from some of my girlfriends in the back there who have said things to me like, oh yeah, when I know pain, when my ex left me, <laughs> it really affected me, psychologically, you know. <laughs> no, I, I don't know, sorry. Um, simply, a few of my friends um, who have been diagnosed with depression, they will proceed, when I tell them what I do, to talk to me about their depression. Um, we've got off the point, really, because I thought, you ask me what I do? <laughs> So chronic pain is quite hard to treat medically. So, well, I'm not saying it is, but like, yeah, is it hard to treat medically? Is that kind of why you then look at the the psychology side of things? Yeah, so obviously people with pain, they wouldn't be without pain medication. They have to, they have to have to have it to get on yeah. um, in life, to get on, get moving. Even if they take some meds and it helps them to go ahead and do some exercise, they will need it. Um, and as I said in my uh, set, um, things like antidepressants can help with pain. They work basically in the same way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say things like stress, especially, and sleep, mood. Okay. So are these all like factors that you look at in your research? Or is that kind of aside from everything you're doing? No, they're factors that we're hoping to kind of target within the intervention that we're making. Um, cancer pain is really interesting because bear in mind that the people were they're cancer survivors. So you think, oh well, they're survivors, so they shouldn't be having any issues. Yeah. But a lot of them will have ongoing pain from treatments, and the reasons why that is, we don't always know. Mm-hmm. Um, it will affect some people worse than others. Can do with even things like personality can have an impact on just how you view things yeah. and therefore how you view pain. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, I think oh, so. Cool. Yeah, no, it's just really different because like my background's more biology, um, and obviously you're you come from a psychology background. Yeah, yeah, That's right. yeah. So it's just quite interesting how like the two kind of would link together. Yeah, I think it's good to have. Well, when you do psychology anyway, you have to have basic core models in psychology. But I think to understand something like pain, which is multidisciplinary you have to have all of those core modules and like a broad knowledge yeah otherwise you wouldn't really understand what's going on mm-hmm. so another thing with um chronic cancer pain will be that pain is associated with recurrence so okay. it's a thought process as well that's adding into the mix as another factor yeah and again something that if we find that something that needs to be an intervention then we'll add that in as well people I can pinpoint and uh, this group of people they need to know what I do because this group of people are my mum's friends.
Yeah. So can you kind of like explain a little bit more about what you mean by like these interventions and what type of things are included? Yeah, so um, it came up at a conference I was at last week, actually. Um, We're going for an online modality, especially with children, because they are so, you know, into technology nowadays. I just think it would be a bit more engaging. Mm -hmm. Um, There are different online platforms out there at the moment for... Things like anxiety, you see like apps, for example, or mindfulness apps is quite a big one. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to go for mainly an intervention that they use on the computer, but hopefully be able to translate it back into kind of an app if we can. Okay. And that really depends on what age we end up targeting. Yeah. So this is aimed at children. Yeah. You're just not sure exactly. Yeah. So um, I'm doing my review at the moment of pain prevalence. Um, after surviving childhood cancers. So, I mean, a group that hasn't been looked at a lot is like leukaemia survivors who are really young, say like age five and upwards. Okay. And I I would imagine it'd be quite difficult to get together an intervention for them because well, what do they... It's difficult to pinpoint what thoughts they have or... Yeah. Whether it's their mood, yeah. And they're not going to be as vague. They might not be able to, yeah, figure it out themselves as yeah. well. Yeah. be able to yeah relay that back to you yeah and there's a lot of crossover with how the parents view how healthy the child is or how they're feeling Mm -hmm. and then that kind of feeds into then how the child actually feels and there's that it just overlaps a lot yeah um but we'll see whether it is a problem in that young group or whether it's more of a problem in adolescence okay which i i suspect it may well go towards adolescence Right. Because adolescents who survive cancer, and then they're going through so many different hormonal changes as well, mm-hmm. things to do with mood, and also they have a lot of sleep problems in that group. Yeah, so that's all going to kind of like tie into that as well. That's yeah, cool. I also think they have more thought processes about it. So with pain in adolescence, one thing that they'll say is, well, what if my cancer comes back? And then it affects, like, my grades, my A-levels and things like that, for example. Yeah. It's a totally different concept to younger children. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. And then in terms of these, yeah, interventions, is it, like, what are you kind of producing? Is it, how does it help with pain? Is it all to do with, like, fun games to help them... Yeah, so I think we're going to try and stay away from distraction, actually. Although distraction can be useful... 
and we might use it if we go for the younger children but if it is adolescence mm-hmm. then I think we're going to go down more a traditional um, cognitive behavioural therapy route um, things like including relaxation methods okay. um, some beha- behavioural activation we call it in CBT so a link to maybe some physio type things they can do right. or someone they could maybe contact if they're struggling Okay. Um, there's another way we could do it surrounding groups although I'm not sure how that would work yet as in kind of like people getting together and doing these activities yeah so maybe getting together via like some sort of Skype modality and having a group conversation about it but obviously in that case what you'd want is for a therapist to be kind of involved in that group as well okay and that would be quite a difficult thing to try and get going yeah Okay, I suppose it's coordinating so many different people. Yeah, what we, there's loads of ideas you can, loads of ways you can go about it. Yeah, as I say, it really depends. A, what group we find pain is a problem with the most, and we'll target them first. Mm-hmm. Not that the other groups, obviously, they do matter, yeah. but we'll go for the one where it's having the most impact first. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially with teenagers, I think they like to be able to do things themselves. So the more we can make it so that they can facilitate it themselves, have links to videos that they can use, and maybe a few bits on thought processes, maybe just how they could view it differently Yeah. in a little app. Okay. Yeah, so it's trying to, yeah, like you said, working, so working on their mindset on it as well. And yeah, I suppose, are you, will you incorporate, will there be things like yoga and meditation? Probably there will be a bit of uh, mindfulness in it. Um, yeah. It's something that's become really, really popular over mm-hmm. recent years. And, and mindfulness, it is part of CBT as well. But when I did CBT training, it was a part of it. So Yeah. I suppose, yeah, it's definitely become more popular. And I um, I follow some people on social media who are quite into mindfulness. And mm-hmm. just things they say. and like Or just little quotes. It's obviously not to do with the, um, chronic pain and pain psychology. But just little quotes. It kind of makes you think about things in like a little yeah. like slightly different way and yeah so like the app really... could include maybe things like that say like I'm feeling this way yeah. and then maybe you press well I'm feeling this way and it gives you some motivational things or some ideas that you could do yourself mm-hmm. um, a really good example is pain actually for mindfulness because if we're talking about cancer pain yeah. then and they're thinking about recurrence or worrying about that that is a worry about the future and mindfulness mm-hmm. is about staying in the present yeah. So it could be useful. It could be really powerful. Yeah. Seriously though, um, when I talk about pain psychology, what I mean is all those other little things day to day that can impact how bad your experience of physical pain is. Um, things like sleep, mood, stress, depression, distraction, I can keep on listing. If we go even more classic psychology, we can look at how people think about pain. And it turns out, after 50 years of research, we now know that people don't like the experience of pain. <laughs> so, yeah, I've when I was doing my PhD, mine's very lab-based. Yeah. So it sounds like this is going to be obviously completely different to what I'm used to. So oh, can, yeah. you, can you kind of, like, explain what it's like to be a pain psychologist? Like, what do you do on, like, a daily basis, a weekly basis, kind of... Give us an idea of what it's like to be you. <laughs> um, a lot of the work I'm doing is about collaboration because we'll, we will have to collaborate with 
hopefully I think we're thinking about Royal Marsden Hospital although don't quote me on that Um, because we'll need some clinicians in with us as well because we need somewhere to start with the medical management of pain and what's appropriate and what's not for those patients Mm -hmm. and also to have access to the clinical group so lots and lots of emails flying around saying Mm -hmm. can you help us with this do you think this project is good Mm -hmm. Um, who can we get involved Um, so all of that and at the moment as I say I'm writing the well it's a systematic review of pain prevalence in that population and so mainly that consists of me going through hundreds of papers (laughs) uh, with pain statistics in them which is what I'm doing at the moment Um, hopefully it'll be a really big review though and it'll be really citable and give me kind of a rationale for why we need an intervention yeah that's quite and I suppose it's a it's a good way to kind of get your head around all the literature as well yeah to kind of be, then be able to be in a good position to move forward oh with yeah PhD. I need I need to know um the what would we call it psycho-oncology literature and even the medical oncology literature if I don't know that how on earth are I going to get someone in medicine who's really got a really medical spe- perspective and I'm sure that you know people who really are so medical yeah. perspective and if you need someone like that in your team and you don't know the oncology terms they're not going to listen to you no they're just gonna yeah yeah walk away but yeah yeah they'll just think oh you don't know what you're talking about <laughs> so I do need to know but yeah a lot of what I do on the day-to-day is about understanding that this because I'm in my first year yeah so I still need to understand a lot about that side the medical literature mm-hmm. and is that like are you finding that quite easy to get to grips with or is it because it's a very like pain yeah pain in itself when I studied at undergrad it's quite mm. a complex oh yeah subject so are you finding it quite um what's the word are you finding it quite like demanding and complex to try and understand it all or um it was really really demanding at first yeah um it's taken me longer than I'd hoped for to go through all the papers that I got from searching through my review um, just because I need to look up terms still but the more terms I look up the more terms I learn and then it becomes faster yeah as I said I feel like there's a whole other part of my brain developed in oncology it's that's really great. strange yeah yeah oh that's really cool so um and then when you've done your systematic review mm-hmm. and you and your kind of study is making progress yeah will you be having interaction with patients yeah so we're planning to do either study two or study three um we'll be doing interviews um again it depends what comes out of the review what age we're interviewing or whether we go for maybe with younger children interviewing parents um because parent um views on how their children are they can be quite useful like often they've been quite accurate says the research anyway okay and then is that for younger children and adolescents? Or adolescents, I think we would try to we try to interview them, whether it would get through ethics. I hope it would, cause yeah. especially if we've got a medical team on board as well mm-hmm. um, for advice for them. Yeah, when we get to that stage, I'll have to do semi-structured interviews with them, I would imagine, and then do kind of a qualitative analysis on that. Yeah. And then the other side of it would be the actual intervention development because Mm -hmm. the interviews are another part of the rationale as to 
you know, do you find pain a problem? What would you look for in an intervention? Those sorts of things. Yeah. And then, well, we're hoping to do a randomised control trial, whether I get time for that. Okay. Yeah, because as I say, we need to develop the actual online system first. Yeah. And again, at that point, we'll be working with potentially some of the people in computer science to help with that. Okay. So another collaboration there. Yeah, well, there are loads of collaborations. It seems to be all I do, to be honest. <laughs> That's great, though, building up your network of various contacts. That's great. There was a colleague um, who I knew from the University of Surrey. Um, amazing lady, amazing researcher, by the way, my inspiration. But uh, she was very adamant that pain has nothing to do with biology. She said, she said pain is all psychology. She said it's all in your mind. It's all perception, is what she said. Uh, she was the kind of woman who, when her son broke his arm, uh, and the bone was literally, it was bursting out of the skin, she showed us a picture of it actually. Uh, did she take him to a no, of course, of course she didn't take it to a &E. She said, no, just leave it. It'll go away. <laughs> if you just ignore it, it'll go away. Just, just distract yourself and ignore it. I'm really, really not sure how I feel about that one. I mean, thank goodness that her husband is a medical doctor. <laughs> and he did get to the a &E. It's fine. So are you... How are you finding the PhD in general? How has it has it been? What you expected so far? Obviously, you're only in first year, so it's yeah been what since that September October yeah that kind of time. Um, so it's a strange one because I actually did work in London for a, a bit in between my masters, where I wasn't sure whether to go forward with a PhD or whether to get a job as maybe assistant psychologist that was the other options mm -hmm. there wasn't that many options to be honest for going actually into psychology unless you do a doctorate yeah so decided to go in for the doctorate but I would say what I'm doing now is like not that dissimilar from my office work although my office work probably more similar I know you're not kind of office based a lot of the time mm -hmm. but I had to be in nine to five for that so the expectations are the same okay but then again, as I say, a lot of my work will be to do with when people are available mm -hmm. or when data is available. Yeah. Um, I think I've been told about 35 hours a week, 40 hours a week. Right. And when I do it, I mean, they said try and do nine to five, five days a week. But yeah, <laughs> it kind of it doesn't end up that way a lot of the time, mm -hmm. um, especially just where I'm waiting on people yeah. a lot of the time. Yeah, I guess, yeah, if you're dependent on those people, then it's going to really vary kind of what hours you work and yeah. what days are. One thing I would say is it's completely different to the Masters, because I did a taught Masters, okay. um, which was stage one health psychology. And I focused really, it was really different, actually. I focused on um, health motivations and body image. So oh, completely different, yeah. yeah. It is actually another, still one of my research interests is... Um, body dysmorphia and eating disorders mm -hmm. is still a really really big interest of mine yeah um as I say then pain only came up after that when I did work with some pain patients but that was right at the end of the masters right okay I always say yeah. it's such um I worked with an amazing lady at Surrey who 
she wrote the book of health psychology. Yeah. <laughs> like she's a big wig and yeah, she is. She just brought out another book actually um, on dieting. Ah. I have to give it a read. Yeah. But um, yeah, Jane, she was an amazing supervisor. But I was adamant that I wanted to go with um, health motivations mm-hmm. and kind of exercise body image down that route. Um, but actually, she also researches in pain. And I always say it's such a shame that at the beginning of the Masters, I didn't or I wasn't interested in pain because I hadn't been involved in it. I didn't know anything about yeah. it. I'd never done health or medical psychology before I did the Masters. Okay. I picked it based on that I liked biological psychology. Yeah. And then we went to a conference about different areas you could go into. And I suddenly realised that health psychology was a thing. Yeah. And you'd... and decided to just go for it, yeah. That's cool. It's funny because, like, yeah, you can, you'll test something out for a little bit and then you'll realise, oh, I really like that. And that'll take you on a completely different path to yeah. what you were maybe expecting. I think because... when I was in third year, we went to the, was it BPS, so British Psychological Society Conference for Undergraduates. Mm. And there was someone up there talking about health psychology and going in to be a health psychology. Obviously, I'm doing research now and not clinical work. Yeah. But my friend uh, Natalie was sitting next to me and she, you know, he was talking and she nudged me and she said, isn't that a bit of you? Because <laughs> I was wondering, I decided I didn't want to go into neuroscience research. I, I enjoyed it at the time, but... I just found it was all a bit up in the air. Like, I was like, well, who is this helping? Yeah. I'm sure that it does eventually go somewhere, but it just felt very much like doing stuff because it's interesting. Okay, whereas you wanted it to be, like... Helpful. You, knew you were directly yeah. helping yeah. people. That's what I really wanted to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember her nudging me saying, isn't that a bit of you? And I went, yeah. And then I looked up all the courses on it. Mm-hmm. And decided to go straight into it from the undergrad, having no knowledge of yeah. medicine or health psychology at all before. And that That's was really cool. hard. Almost like where I'm learning oncology specifically now. Yeah. When I started the master's in health psychology, I had to learn so many medical terms. Mm-hmm. And it was, oh, <laughs> it was really, yeah. I thought, oh yeah, this would be easy because I've done some neuroscience in my undergrad no yeah <laughs> it was actually completely different bit yeah. of a shock <laughs> yeah when i finished my uh, masters i decided that i would go and do a placement in the nhs a voluntary placement for about three months in the summer um and i had to actually pay to travel there and back which gave the term paid work experience a whole different meaning <laughs> <laughs> And I was lucky enough um, when I worked there to work with a group of adult pain patients. And um, they have, of course, the medications and physiotherapy, and they can't be without it. But they had the input from psychologists as well. And they absolutely loved the psychologists. I can't stress enough, they absolutely loved it. They said that in psychology, we really understand how all those little things day to day can add up to impact how bad or good physical pain is. There was one particular lady who came up to me individually and she said to me, do you know, Anna, when I go on holiday, all my pain is gone. (laughs) It's like they say in the old days, you know, go and take a holiday um, and then you'll get better. And um, I still don't know 
whether her pain goes away because she's relaxed or whether but she has a continuous supply of pina coladas on the dog. <laughs> <laughs> so what, um, so I find the whole, yeah, body dysmorphia, mm. um, body, yeah, um, how people perceive their bodies and things, I find that really interesting topic. So mm. how did you, how did you decide to study that? Like what? Um, actually, it was in my second year of my undergrad, I decided to be, no, third year, I decided to be a student mentor for the first years. Mm-hmm. And there was a girl who I was mentoring who was hospitalised at the time with anorexia. Okay. And ever since then, I've been so interested in it because, I mean, she's actually gone back in now, bless her, and graduated. And I'm sure she will be an amazing psychologist mm-hmm. because she's been there firsthand. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I'm sure she will press forward with it. But it just made me think so much about it. And even the other interesting side of it is if you think about body dysmorphia and then obesity Mm -hmm. in like an eating disorder concept is really interesting. Yeah. So what kind of... So was that more... Did you do a research project on this? Yeah. When you were... So what did you have to do in your master's to kind of look at this... So what I did was, what I was interested in is whether certain images of just female bodies, different body types, Mm -hmm. would improve actual health motivations. Okay. Like motivations for things like healthy eating, moderate Mm -hmm. exercise, so all those things that we want people to do. Yeah. Whether there was a certain type of female image that should be in the media rather than mm-hmm. skinny and just hyper fit yeah um yeah whether there was a certain type that should be being portrayed in order for people to do positive behaviors mm-hmm. towards health and did you find what what did you find because, so <laughs> yeah because obviously yeah. a lot of people like these days are very much like um strength training and having toned being toned and having like nice muscles people see that and being strong yeah rather than necessarily just for aesthetics. So that that essentially was what I did find, was that people people said that they wanted to be like the the really fit model with the low body fat, but she was a higher weight. I had an underweight as well. Yeah. Um, I was really lucky, actually, to get... I managed to swindle a few of my friends into doing these images Mm -hmm. and managed to get someone who was both, like, borderline, like, very underweight... Mm-hmm. And someone in the obese category as well. So I was really lucky. And I have an amazing friend from uh, my undergrad uni. And she photoshopped all the images like for me to get them all pristine and ready for research. Yeah. Like just taking out the background, etc. And not changing the bodies. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, essentially, we did find that people wanted to be like the fit model. And I mean, I thought that was really important, but whoever was marking my dissertation didn't seem to think so. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I didn't do that well on my dissertation. Why did they not? Why did they not think that? Um, just... I just think they didn't like the project because oh. because it was survey based, and maybe I should have been doing yeah. more on a master's. But I put a lot into it because I got all my models. I got measured up at the um, Surrey Sports Park labs as well, so I got independent measures of body fat on all of them by the yeah. same person to try and make it as objective as I could mm-hmm. yeah and I had images of the front and the back of the bodies and all wearing like a like a sports bra and then leggings so mm-hmm. I tried to make them as uniform as I could without yeah. changing the body shape um but yeah so 
I was sad that I didn't get a good mark. Aww. Although I found out later on that my supervisor actually disputed them on it, and I didn't realise that she did. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, she was really angry about it. But it's something like that's been a really popular topic. Yeah, because so- I I would say that um, super fit has replaced super skinny. Yeah. And sometimes it's a bad thing if you get people who are really low body fat. Mm-hmm. Because that's not healthy either. Well, no, I know some people... Well, I know someone who trains really hard and they're a great athlete. But, you know, because they're so lean, mm. their bodies aren't functioning properly. You know, things like periods have gone. Yeah, and so that's something that concerns point. me, yeah. Yeah, so... And I've actually seen people say who do like um, aesthetic, you know, like body competitions... And I've seen people on social media say things like, oh, like, my period stopped, but that's okay. It happens to a lot of people. It's not okay. Fertility is a key marker of health. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that is, if you don't know that, then I don't know how much else I can help. Yeah. and But then it's like, there's so many, for people who are on social media, so I've got my Instagram, I follow, like, quite a few fitness people because I find it interesting but you can very easily kind of get sucked into thinking oh that's that's what I should look like but then you have to be like checking with yourself and be like no because that is yeah that is um in the study I did they said they wanted to be like people said that they wanted to aim to be like the fit one yeah or the normal weight one okay that's yeah so they actually were going more towards that line of being fit but normal weight yeah which I thought was quite a big thing because in psychology we still do a lot of research on the thin ideal and I do think there is still some stigma around it but not as much as there used to be clearly I mean I got 200 people in the survey so that's really good to know I think Mm. like attitudes are changing perceptions are changing yeah (sighs) the pain patients though they didn't seem to like their GPs much I can tell they didn't like them a few of them um, came up to me and they said Oh, uh, my GP, they prescribed me antidepressants, and I'm not depressed. You should have seen the looks on their face when we got the, ph- when we got the pharmacist in. And uh, it turns out that antidepressants are actually prescribed to directly treat pain. It also turns out that uh, GPs know more about medicine than the general public do. <laughs> <laughs> so you've done, you've done the Masters yeah. in the kind of body perception dysmorphia and then you're doing a phd in um so childhood well childhood cancer yeah um and i know you're only in like first year of phd at the moment but do you kind of see where you want to go after the phd or are you kind of just living living in the moment at Uh, (laughs) at the moment and just see how things go at the moment um I am trying to focus on what I'm doing now because if I don't get it done then there will be no PhD as my supervisor says to me <laughs> if there's no PhD there's no point which yeah. is true she's not yeah, wrong she's not wrong um, but then I mean I have asked for some careers um, days to be organised for the PhD students because I think it will be good for us to especially as researchers because we're not doing clinical psychology we're not going to be doing therapies we're not trained in that we are literally going to be doing research Mm -hmm. um and me personally i would like to know what avenues there are in terms of even things like government research commercial research Mm -hmm. and then research posts that you could take afterwards i don't know that much about them yeah um 
I would probably be happy to take a post in any area. In fact, I would argue that for me, I like having change between my subjects. Yeah. So I like having that variation. Mm-hmm. So you never know, I might go back to kind of another area of health. Like maybe yeah. I go back to, even if I went over back to fibromyalgia, yeah. say, then that would be a slightly different area mm-hmm. um, for a postdoc potentially. So much you can do with what? Well, research. what we're hoping is that the PhD is a PhD in psychology. Yeah. So hopefully that means that I can translate my skills into any area of psychology, mm-hmm. which is probably the most useful advice yeah. <laughs> I've been given so far. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely like so much you can do with it and yeah. kind of keep your options open. Yeah. Awesome. I don't really know what children think about pain. I mean, I guess it bothers them, and I have three years to try and find out if it does. (laughs) One thing that I do know works really well with kids, and a lot of the parents in the room will say, yeah, of course, distraction. If you distract kids, it can help with pain. Um, There was one particular study that I read at the beginning of this year, and it said that it was a psychology intervention. But what it actually was, was a giant computerized panda <laughs> in an app that was used to distract children from pain. I'm serious. This, this went uh, widespread, it did really well. I really hope my research doesn't equate to that, but, but if that's um, how we can help manage pain in children who have they've literally already been through cancer then of course I can change my PhD title into A Hundred Ways to Distract Children from Cancer Pain. (laughs) How to successfully ignore children's health problems. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just a closing point then to see if um, I've convinced you that pain psychology is a thing. (laughs) The more you think about pain, the worse the pain will be. And perhaps it explains, as a pain researcher, why I'm having to see a specialist for joint pain at the end of the month. (laughs) Thank you very much. Well, it was lovely talking to you um, and learning more about your research. So good luck with the PhD. Well, thanks. And yeah, everything really. You're done now, right? Yeah, I'm done. Hi again, Uh, thank you for listening all the way through here to the end. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, And thank you again, of course, to uh, Lisa and Anna. Uh, I hope they enjoyed themselves, Um, especially uh, Lisa. That was like the day before, hours before she was leaving to go travelling now. So, um, yeah, I hope she's having a good time. Um, And, uh, yeah, Anna will be back, obviously, in a couple of weeks, as I said at the start if you hadn't noticed we get the interviewee to be the next interviewer yeah so uh, we'll hear from her again soon um yeah i don't have uh, anything else to tell you as i say uh, i hope you had a good easter uh, i had a pretty nice easter and um yeah but back, back at work now so uh, yeah oh well uh so i guess all i need to say really is uh we're always on the lookout for future performers for future shows um we are starting to organize our next show um which will be sometime in june and uh if you think you want to perform or you have a friend you want to push to perform then please get in touch uh, our email address is brightclubsoton 
at gmail.com uh, or uh, look for Bright Club Southampton on Facebook or Twitter and contact us through one of those things uh, because, yeah, we want to hear from you in general. But um, but certainly, if you want to perform, we will be organising training in the next month or so um, and we'll do a couple of training sessions where we help you do various things to do with finding comedy or performance or um, stuff like that. Uh, and we think those training sessions are useful just if you want help public speaking skills, um, which is something that we all probably can improve on. Uh, yeah, so um, so please look out for our training sessions and come to them, and uh, and they, they will be useful if you think you might want to perform, but you feel uh, sort of lacking in confidence that you would have enough material. Don't worry, we do help you come up with lots of material and lots of jokes, and we help you with the writing of the set and the learning of it and the practicing it and all of that. So, um, yeah, uh, you will have a great set. I, I do absolutely believe that every one of you has five minutes of comedy material in you because, uh, yeah, everyone's funny in their own way, aren't they? Um, yeah, no, actually, uh, yeah, 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 you are. You're all funny. So, please, um, yeah, get in touch with us. Come on to training sessions. Keep on listening to the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast. Like, give it a review on iTunes or whatever. Um, yeah, that'd be nice. Um, we've been going for uh, a little while now. I mean, just over a year we've been releasing them. Not as regularly as I'd hoped, so uh, this is only episode uh, 19 or something, I think. Um, but, uh, or 18? Oh, I don't remember. Um, but you, you'll know, because you've looked at it and it says in the name. But I don't know because I'm a fool. So, uh, yeah, that's it from me, and uh, bye-bye.